Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Milo. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. We're kind of getting back into the swing of things here in the new year. I don't know if, uh, for, for me, last week uh, there was someone much taller and larger than me preaching up here. Like, my pulpit was not tall enough for him, so we had to go to a giant pulpit so that he had somewhere to be able to speak from. Uh, Mike Okier preached last week, and so now, just a few minutes ago, I'm trying to put on this headset microphone, realizing that last week it was sized for a gargantuan human, and so I had to try to try to be ready for that. As we get into this, like, there's a kind of coming back that we have right now of, like, trying to settle ourselves and get ourselves into the swing of things. Uh, This week, for me, one of those things was to go to an annual physical, to be able to go to my annual physical. Uh, But there's a little bit of a story behind that, because uh, in about September of this fall, we got a letter in the mail. And I don't know how you are with letters that you receive in the mail. It's not the very first thing I do when I get home is to go through the letters. Uh, So we looked at it, and we put it in this file. And eventually, Aaron said, hey, you need to actually go and take a look at this letter and see what it said before your time runs out on it. And so I I read the letter, so it arrived in September, maybe about November, I read the letter. And November, I read the letter, and it said, you need to uh, update your primary physician. You need to get a primary physician. You haven't had one for a while, and you need one so badly uh, that us as the insurance company, Independent Health, is going to pay you $50 to please go get yourself a primary physician. So if you think about it, this is the situation that independent health is in. They have a bunch of knuckleheads like me out there who do not have primary physicians. They're so sick and tired of us not having primary physicians. They said, I will give you $50 to go and get a primary physician. So I got this letter open and looked at it in November and decided around December 13th that maybe I should get myself a primary physician because also in the letter it said, you have until December 31st to get your $50 voucher. And so I had not done that until mid-December. So I called the place and I said, okay, I want to uh, get a primary physician. And they said, well, when's the last time uh, you had a primary physician? Can we get your information sent over? So that story backs up even farther to be able to say, in 2010, we moved to Buffalo, New York. Uh, We got a new insurance uh, provider and that type of thing. And so I got myself assigned a primary physician. It took about a year to get in. Uh, I went to the initial appointment. And after that initial appointment, uh, I got a letter uh, from the doctor's office said, uh, your physician is now moving to Atlanta, Georgia. You're going to need to get yourself a new primary physician. That was in 2011. We just turned the year over to 2020. I have not had any type of primary physician since then due to my own laziness and my own maybe fear and anxiety of what's going on. So, uh, so I, get, I make the phone call and I said, well, we can't get you in until January uh, 10th. And I said, well, I need $50 from my insurance company. I have to be able to get in by December 31st. And they said, no, we can't do that. And I decided, I said, you know what, this is actually what I need to do. So I'll sign up with uh, the primary and be able to get the physician. And so I went through, they said, you need to pick one off of this list. And so I went through the list, just as many of you did, because I haven't had a a physician for almost 10 years, be able to look at the list. And I said, I got to look at this list, look at the list, look at the list. What name can I remember 10 years from now when I need to go to the doctor? So that was the only criteria by which I picked my doctor. Was this a name that I would be able to remember? And so Dr. Smith was my uh, physician. I got a call 
six days later that said, uh, Dr. Smith is no longer accepting patients. We need you to find a primary physician. Is there someone off of this list that you would like to choose? And I said, listen, there's $50 on the line here, people. I got to get this thing figured out. And so I went and they said, can I, I said, can I keep the same day if I choose a different physician? I'm already on your schedule. Can I get in? And they said, yes, you can get in. And they gave me a doctor, Dr. Jones, for the sake of this argument to be able to uh, you come in and you'll have your appointment. They said, you're going to need to come at least 30 minutes earlier because uh, we have a lot of questions to ask you because it's been so long since you've had an appointment. And so I arrived at my appointment 30 minutes early and they asked me every question that you could imagine. And they asked me all the different questions there at the office. And then uh, the nurse came in and she asked me a bunch of different questions and filled out kind of my medical history and got through all of the list of questions. And then I'm sitting in the room, as you would expect, with no clothes on, just the sheets around me sitting and it's cold. And I said, can I keep my socks on? And they said, yes. And that was nice. And so, um, so the doctor comes in and she sits down and she asked me a few questions, a number of questions, none of which had to do with what is your height? What is your weight? Do you feel healthy? She asked me a number of questions that went through kind of uh, what, what Pastor Brian likes to talk about as the thing behind the thing. And she was getting at one root question that I want to ask you this morning. She was digging in deeper. One question that, that hit me in the nose, hit me square between the eyes. And this question that kind of shakes things up for me when it comes to my medical coverage. And when it comes to you this morning, the question that I want to be able to ask you. You see, I could go down the roads this morning, we could just line up one after another, we could hand out a microphone and I could ask you, what is the story, tell me the situation that you avoided something for an extended amount of time because it made you feel uncomfortable. And person after person, story after story, we could hear different stories. And if all of you came up here and shared in front of everybody else, everybody would look at you as you shared your story about taking 10 years to get a primary physician and they would all point at you and laugh, just like you just did with me because it's dumb at the end of the day. That seems like a really dumb story. That seems like a really dumb thing to do. And so then we can open up the, the mic and say, hey, since we're here, let's just talk about the really dumb things that we've done. And we'll hand the microphone around one after another, we'll go through and you say, uh, it was really dumb when I bought this house. It was really dumb when I went on a date with this guy. It was really dumb when I leased this car. It was really dumb when I went to this college. And the list just goes on and on and on. But what if we were asking ourselves one question that could begin to fix the dumb things that we do? What if we could ask one question, a foolproof question, if you will, that would put a stop to the dumb things that we do? If you've got your bulletins this morning, there's a white sheet of paper there that's going to get you there to kind of track along with where I'm going this morning. Uh, one question that the doctor was trying to get at for me and one question that I hope to be able to probe at a little bit here this morning and poke a little bit at you this morning to ask this one question and the question is this, the foolproof question is this, is it wise? Is it wise? The doctor looked at me and she said, listen, you're in good health. That's fine. You haven't been here in 10 years. What if something had happened? What if something was going on inside? What if, is it wise for you to miss 10 years of doctor's appointments? And when we look at uh, our text today, we're going to look and be able to see in our scripture, be able to see, is it wise? I'm going to clarify, this is not the question, is it okay? Or is it allowed? Or even, is it legal? This is not the question 
that we're asking this morning. We're asking the question, is it wise? Not is it strategic or is it beneficial or is it fun or will it make me happy? No, is it wise? If you're in here this morning, this question uh, covers a number of different areas in all of our lives that we deal with this one question. And, and, and students, if you're here this morning, you're asking your parents, is it okay for me to date? And your question's looking back at, your parents are looking back and you ask the question, is it wise? Is it, is it okay for me to move in with the person that I'm dating right now? Well, is it, is it wise? Should I have sex before I get married? Is it wise? Should I move to Colorado and become a ski instructor instead of, uh, instead of deciding to jump into college right now? I don't know. Is it wise? And you have to balance some of those things out because a lot of times we say, well, let's just look at scripture on this. There is no scripture about whether to become a ski instructor in Colorado this spring. Is it wise? We're happily married. Is it time for us to have a child? Actually, I didn't mean for it to sound that way. Uh, because you have a child, you may still be happily married. I'm not sure. Is it wise? Is it the right time? Should we put an addition on the house? Is it wise? Should we move mom into an assisted living facility? Is it wise? These are the questions that we ask each other. These are the questions that you ask yourself in the corner of your house when we don't think anyone else is around. These are the questions that we're all asking each other. And if we're asking these questions, are we asking the one question that matters? Is it wise? You'd assume if it's this important of a question that the Bible would have something to say about it. You'd assume if it was this important of a question, whether you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, or if you're here just as a skeptic walking into this room, you should expect this morning in a place of worship, Christians should look at the Bible and say, I think that God would have something to say about this. And he does. And he does. So if you open your Bibles this morning, we're starting a new series today called A Kingdom Provided. We are in First Kings. This will be a six-week series that we're in, and we're doing it all together. This is something different. We have not done this before, and we're, we're taking a look at maybe every year beginning a sermon series, a six-week sermon series from infant to adult. All of us are going to be looking at the same passage in 1 Kings and making our way through that together. So if you've got kids this morning coming out of our children's program, you can ask them, and they will have dealt with the same text that we're dealing with here this morning. If you have uh, someone who's in a group in your family, and, and, and they're in groups this week, this is the conversation they'll be having in groups, whether it meets on Sunday morning or midweek this week. If you have a teenager in our youth program here at Randall Church, these are the questions that we're going to be asking one another. This is the text that we will be looking at this morning. A little background on the book of First Kings. Uh, in our English Bibles, we have two books, First Kings and Second Kings. It was not really originally written that way. It was just an easier way to keep track of things as they go. Uh, but it's a continuation of the book of Samuel. And in Samuel's book, he writes about the life of Samuel, of course, and then moving into the life of David. As we uh, dig into these books, we're going to cover uh, David's uh, David and then his son Solomon, all the way through the, the kings that take us into Israel's exile, the final result of Israel's disobedience. But today we're, gonna, we're just going to cover the first opening, the, the origins, the beginning of the kings, the first three kings that we see in the book of 1 Kings, or the first three kings in 
Israel. Because after that, uh, if you know the book, if you know the Old Testament, there is a very steep drop off after the first three kings of Israel. So here's where we're going to begin. If you have your, your Bibles out this morning, uh, we're in 1 Kings, uh, beginning in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. If you're using the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's that black Bible in front of you. It's a New International Version. If you haven't found it yet, we're on page 349. 349, New International Version of 1 Kings. To set the stage, King David is dying. He's on his deathbed. He calls his son Solomon into the room, and he shares this with his son Solomon. Chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Then when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said, meaning he's about to die. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. He gives him a three-point sermon here. Walk in obedience, keep his decree and commands, his laws and his regulations as written in the law of Moses. If you do this, you will prosper wherever in all you do and wherever you go. Again, further background here is David is handing over the, the throne to his son Solomon is that Solomon is not the eldest child. What would be more typical would be that the eldest child would then take over the throne. But in this case, David has decided to hand over the throne to Solomon. And so there is a battle that's going on behind the scenes, a struggle that's happening to take over the throne. And there's something that happens here that I'll tell you before this week in looking at this passage that I have missed every single time I've read this passage and looked at this story. In 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, we find out a little bit more about this battle that's going on. David tells his son Solomon, Now you yourself know that Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if it were battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Check this out. Deal with him according to your what? Wisdom. But do not let his gray head go down into the grave in peace. And then he goes on further. Jump down to verse 8. And remember, you, this is another situation he brings up. You have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahayanim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Now, 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 David had just told him, he says, to follow after the law, follow after the commandments, follow after the things that God has told you to do and taught you to do. Now that I've got that taken care of, let's walk over here and talk about how we can murder all of our rivals. That doesn't make any sense, friends. And he says, use your wisdom. But if we ask ourselves this question, is it wise? Does that make sense? Does it, does it match up with what we know to be God's teaching? <coughs> How did we get here? Where is this coming from? Does this make any sense to us? Is this how Israel's kings, God's chosen nation, is this how they are to behave? We have to go back a little bit further and say, well, where did the king of Israel originate from? How did we start with that? Well, first we had uh, Israel's being ruled by judges. We have uh, the book of the Bible in the Bible called the Judges. This is the time period also that we just, we just studied this fall to be able to talk about the life of Ruth is also during this time period. 
Then we see this shift from judges to kings. Did God tell them to make this shift? The answer is no. Is it wise for them to have made this shift? Well, we've got more feelings for you this morning because this is, the, is what's happening behind the scenes and maybe what's happening behind the scenes in your life as well. Here's the question we ask. Should I ignore God's voice? Should I ignore God's voice? Now, I can read it for you. You can jump back there with me if you'd like. I'm going back to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you're using the black Bibles in front of you, page 287. 287, should I ignore God's voice? Now let's ask ourselves what I told you is the, the foolproof question. Not is it allowed or is it legal or is it okay, but we ask the question, is it wise? And look where the kings of Israel come from. Beginning in verse 4, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. Your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us, such as the other nations have. But when they said this, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he went and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to what the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They have done this from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so they are doing to you as well. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim his rights. And then he goes on to describe what a king over them will do, why it will be so much more pressure than they've ever experienced before, why having a king over them instead of a holy God who is looking out for their best interests in mind, why it is not beneficial for them to make this choice. Should I ignore God's voice? Long story short, the Israelites say, yes, I'm going to ignore God's voice. I'm allowed to do that. God, you've given me a choice. You give me permission to make a choice that's uh, away from you. And so I am choosing to ignore your voice. They know exactly what God is telling them to do. They know exactly that a king would not be a good plan for them. Samuel is telling them this is what God has said is going to create many more problems for you as a nation. They know these things, and yet they choose they say, give us a king. Is it wise for Israel to ignore God's voice? Here's your second one. Should I ignore people's praise? Excuse me, should I adore people's praise? Turn over a few pages to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, page 296 in that black Bible if you're there. 1 Samuel chapter 15, we find the first king of Israel. He's a strong man. He's head and shoulders above everyone else in the line. You look at this man, he's a strong leader. People want to follow him. They're excited about him. They're cheering for him in the streets. And yet Saul fights against and chooses against the ways of God again and again and again. So let's ask the foolproof question. Should I adore people's praise? Well, maybe it's allowed. Maybe it's legal. Maybe he's king and he can do whatever he wants to do. But is it wise? For Samuel 15, 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was, get this, afraid of the men, afraid of the people. 
I, I, I'm longing for them to, to like me. They won't like me if I tell them something that they don't want to hear, so I gave it to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin. Come back with me so that I may worship with the Lord. But then Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has then therefore rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught a hold of the hem of his robe. How do you do that? You're the king of Israel, and you are laying on the ground begging and tugging at his robe, and the robe tore. Samuel says to him, the Lord has also torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors. He'll do better than you. He who is the glory of Israel, or he who is God, does not lie. He does not change his mind, for he is not a human being that he would change his mind. Check this out. Saul replies, I have sinned, but... Please honor me before the elders of the people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. He says, okay, I get it. I won't be able to be king, but will you still elevate me in front of the people? Will you make sure that they still like me after this is over? Should I adore people's praise? King Saul is putting that above everything. And you may look at this and you say, well, that's his prerogative. He's the king. He can do what he wants to do. He can live his life how he wants to do. He can make the choices that he wants to make. And he can. But ask yourself that foolproof question when you're thinking about that in your own life. Should I, should I trust people's praise? Should I elevate that above all else? Is it wise? He would rather be honored by the people of Israel than to honor God himself. Is that wise? Turn over a few more pages. We're going now to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, page 325 in your Bibles there. We meet King David. So now we've moved from the nation of Israel to their first king, King Saul, and then our second king, King David, and we ask the question, should I avoid accountability? Should I avoid accountability? Again, ask yourself the question. Maybe it's allowed. Maybe I'm allowed to avoid accountability. Maybe it's legal for David to, to avoid accountability. But is it wise? In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Is that wise, friends? If you've looked at this passage before, you know that he knows where his army is. He knows what they are up to, what they are doing. He knows that they need a leader, and yet he stays home. Look what happens. One evening, David got out of his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful, and David sent someone out to find her. The man who came back said, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. This man is telling her, telling him, this woman is someone else's wife. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived, and she sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Should I avoid accountability? Well, you can. But the question wasn't whether it's allowed. The question was not whether it's okay to give it a shot. The question is not, can you, can you go to a certain point without getting burned? The question is, is it wise? 
You know, David knows it's not wise. David knows this is the wife of one of his dear friends, one of his soldiers, one of his generals who's going out into battle and fighting for him. He knows these things, and yet he chooses to do whatever he wants. He says, I'm the king. I'll do whatever I want. Is it wise to avoid accountability? Is it wise? Your next feeling is this. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. Ask for it. Ask for it. You see, King Solomon, the son of David, he sees where he's at when David is handing over the baton to him. When he says, when David tells him, I know that you're a wise man. Here's how you deal with these two situations. You, you do what you need to do, but I think that you need to eliminate anyone who's going to rise up against you. And he says, you're wise. And Solomon looks at the situation and says, I don't know if I'm wise at all. I don't know, what I, I don't know that I can, deep, I can look inside of myself and answer these questions at all. He knows in above his head. So what does he do? He asks for wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 3 beginning in verse 8. 1 Kings chapter 3 beginning in verse 8 says this, your servant is here among the people you have chosen. This is, this is Solomon talking, praying to God. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people. There are too many, too numerous to count or even to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And you see God's response in chapter 12. He says, I will do, God says, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will have never been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And he goes on to even promise him greater and better things than that. He is the giver of wisdom. We must ask for wisdom. Why is this important? Because you and I will go in every other direction looking for more information, more knowledge, more, more ways, more people that we can talk to. As I'm speaking right now, there's nothing stopping any of you from Googling everything I'm saying and saying, I'm not sure if he's right about that. Because you can find more information than we can ever find before. But you do not need more information. You need more application and you need more wisdom from God. Is it wise. This curriculum that we're going through is called the Gospel Project to be able to say how do we point things back to the gospel truths everywhere in God's word. Every page is Jesus' name is written on every page of scripture. How do we make sure that that's what we're talking about? And right straight from the curriculum this morning, it didn't come from me, it was just in the, in the notes for, for anyone teaching a Sunday school class, anyone teaching our students, anyone leading a group. These are the notes that I want to share with you this morning. It says this, Saul was after the people's heart. David was after God's heart. Solomon had a wandering heart. Because even in this, even in his, his choice to ask for wisdom, when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, when we look at the book of Proverbs, we find that even though he knew what to do, even though God was giving him tremendous wisdom, he still was looking everywhere else. This is an important one for me because I know that this is who I am. 
This is who I am, knowing what God has shown me and shown uh, my family and shown us what to do and yet continuing to do other things. I know that this speaks to me. I know this would speak to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says the very same thing. I know the things that I need to do, and those are the things that I don't do. I know the things I'm not supposed to be doing, and those are things that I am doing. What is going on inside of me? There's this struggle. There's battle that is going on that you and I will never win, friends. That's why we need to ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. This describes me to a T. Now, to pick up on the story where I left off, I walk into the doctor's office, or begin to walk out of the doctor's office, and she says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. You know, it has been a number of years. Uh, have you, uh, when's the last time you had a flu shot? If you know my story, the background of the story says, uh-uh, I ain't having a flu shot. And she says, well, well you're definitely going to need to have a tetanus shot because you need to have a tetanus. They're good for 10 years. And I started to try to do the math. I said, well, I think I'm okay because, you know, it's been at least maybe nine and a half years since I've had my tetanus shot. So I'm okay. And she starts asking these questions again. She says, yes, you are within range. Yes, I suppose it's okay for you to do that. But is that the best thing, the wisest thing for you to do? And so I put my big boy pants on because they were laying over in the corner. I had to go get them and put them back on. And I got my shot, my tetanus shot. And I told the lady before I got the shot, listen, I'm not good with shots. I might be laying here on the floor after you stab me with a shot. You just need to know this. Just don't tell me how big the needle is. Don't tell, I don't need to know any of that. Just give me the shot so I can get out of here. And she said, oh, that's fine. We do this all the time. And she started talking about the weather and she snuck up on me. <laughs> and I got the shot. And I go back up to the front counter. I go back up to the front desk and I'm on my way out. She says, I'm just looking at your records here. It looks like you're all set. And she says, oh, I see your Band-Aid there. You must have gotten the tetanus shot today. We'll put that down in your records. And I said, well, yes, I did. <laughs> That's my Band-Aid. And I didn't, I didn't fall down or anything. And she looked at me, and I went on to tell her, so I'm not good at shots. And so then I went and I got a cup of coffee. And I start to, to get the cup of coffee. I pay for it. My sleeve slid up. And they said, oh, oh, did you get a shot? Did you, did you get the flu shot? I said, no, I didn't get the flu shot. I got the tetanus shot. I'm driving down the road as I make my way down the street. There, there's this, this car full of teenagers. Music is pumping. They roll down the window and say, hey, I see your Band-Aid. I see your Band-Aid. What is that all about? And I said, I got my tetanus shot. I get home. The kids are eating their dinner, or, or the dinner's coming together, and we start preparing dinner. We start putting plates on the table, and the kids see, Dad, what's that on your arm? And I said, it's my Band-Aid. I got a tetanus shot today. And they said, oh, wow, Dad, that's pretty exciting. I go to bed, climb into bed late at night. Erin leans over, puts her arm across my shoulder and puts her hand on my arm and she feels the Band-Aid. And she says, oh babe, you got a tetanus shot today, didn't you? You're so brave, she says to me. And she's right, I'm Superman, nothing can touch me. I got a tetanus shot. And I tell everybody I come into contact with, that's my Band-Aid. What am I ultimately coming back to? I made a wise decision today, friends. 
And the same thing happens when you come up against that difficult situation that you can't seem to figure out what to do. Maybe the people around you are giving you all types of different information. They're telling you what to do and where to go and how to do it. When you ask God for wisdom and he gives it to you, and then you actually, in asking for it, then you actually do it. In some ways, you'll start walking around town as if you've got a band-aid on your shoulder saying, hey, I made the wise decision today. I did what would glorify God today. I did it. So today as the ushers come forward, we're about to have an offering this morning. It is that one question that we ask, is it wise? Is it wise? Because as we walk through our normal lives, we make so many decisions that are unwise, so many decisions that are foolish, so many decisions that we don't ask God for help with. So today, in your bulletin or in your, uh, you'll see a connection card in the pew in front of you. Will you just write something on there that says, I'll give it a shot. No pun intended. I didn't mean to say that. I'm getting woozy thinking about it right now. I'll ask this question. You see, I'm only asking you to ask the question. What do I mean by that? Because if you ask yourself the question, you're going to learn something about yourself today. You're going to learn something about yourself this week. When you ask yourself the question that says, is this wise? You're going, to ask, you're going to learn, am I the type of person who listens to the voice of God and actually follows through with it? Or am I the type of person who knows what God has for me, and yet I'm going to choose to walk away from that? You're going to learn that about yourself within the next 24 hours. Is it wise? When you leave this room and you go out in the back and we're interacting with another, having conversations with one another, and the way that you approach that conversation, the way you interact with one another, is this the wisest way for me to be spending my time with this person, with this individual? When you go home and spend your time with your family this afternoon, when you, is, this, is this wise? Yes, I can go do what I want. Yes, I love to play basketball. Yes, I love to do this. Yes, I love to do that. So I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to go and do that. Yeah, you're allowed to do that, but is it wise? Ask yourself this question when you schedule your day tomorrow. Ask yourself this question when you look at your week and schedule your week this week, the people that you're meeting with, the time that you're giving to people, is it wise? Imagine the impact that it has on our church and our family and in the year 2020, if you had a church full of people asking, looking at their calendar, looking at their schedule, just looking at their daily interactions, asking one simple question, is it wise? Don't you think that our families would be stronger? Don't you think that our congregation would be that much healthier? Don't you think that we would have a, a new desire for God's word to dig in deeper and learn a little bit more about what he has to say to us and for us? Don't you think that our people would have a greater impact in the community going around asking in the different interactions we have throughout the day and throughout the week, is this wise? Is this the way that God would have me carry myself? Is it wise? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the way that it is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for the life of Solomon. It is not a perfect life. It's barely even a life that we would want to emulate, Lord, but the question is the right question. God, I don't have wisdom. I need wisdom on this subject. I need your help 
because everyone that I ask is going to give me a different opinion. Everywhere I go is going to give me more or less information, but it's not going to get at your heart as we take steps forward in this this morning, this afternoon, this week, asking this one question, is it wise? Lord, I pray that you would do something spectacular. Lord, as we bring our tithes and offerings before you here this morning, we can ask the very same question. Lord, we, we say that we believe that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. We say that we believe that it's all yours and an offering is an act of giving it back to you. But how many times do we say, you know what, I'm going to keep some of this for myself. You know what, I work really hard for money, so, so I'm going to just hold on to this. Or God, if I give it to you, I'm going to, be, I'm going to be in a situation where I can't pay my bills. Or I'm going to be in a situation where I'm a little uncomfortable. And so we start asking ourselves those questions. Am I allowed to not follow this command? Am I allowed to step away from this? Am I allowed to? And you've given us the freedom to make those choices. But even as we look in that, Lord, let us ask the question, is it wise? We love you, Lord. We thank you for the way that you speak to us. We trust you for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.